Good morning, Impact. It is so, so good to be with you this morning. If you got your Bibles or your phones, go ahead and pull those out. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to dive in today. If you don't have a Bible app, you can just Google Philippians 4, but I encourage you to get in the Word uh, as we explore some different scriptures this morning. Uh, and while you're turning there, uh, if we haven't met, my name is Shay. Uh, I do that every time that I'm up here, but just in case uh, you don't know me, I don't want you to think I'm some rando off the street. Uh, I am the student ministries pastor here at Impact Church. Um, and I've never actually just done this publicly, but I, I genuinely want to say thank you to each and every one of you. Uh, because of you, uh, I have the opportunity to serve as a student ministries pastor here in, at Impact. And that is an incredible honor and a privilege for me to be able to do. Uh, and you might think, I don't even know you or barely know you. I don't even like you. How did I participate in this? Uh, but it's because of your buy-in to impact vision and mission and values that has furthered impact to be at a place where we do have a student ministries and we do have the opportunity to have a youth pastor and I get to serve as that. And so because of your buy-in and your investment and your involvement, you've allowed me to do that. And especially for those in the room uh, that are parents with kids currently or past uh, it, uh, that have participated in student ministries, you've had it entrusted them to me in that way as a shepherd and leader. You're still the disciple maker, but you still entrusted a part of them to me. And so for that, I am extremely grateful. Uh, and if you know anything about ISM, you know that it is not at all about me, but it's actually about our volunteers and the leaders that I get to walk alongside of. We have some incredible, amazing volunteers that serve with us. It's so much not about me. Last week, I was in the lobby talking with someone, and uh, about six feet away, a student, Mason Wade, walked up, and he's standing there. He's kind of doing that standing at a distance where it's like, okay, he's waiting to talk to me. And so I finished my conversation. I turned, I was like, hey, Mason, what's up? Did you need me? And he goes, no. I was just, I was waiting for Malachi and, and Levi, two other students. And he goes, Shay, just so you know, just so you know, it's Malachi, Levi, everyone else, you. That's where you rank. So like, that's how much it's not about me. And, uh, but I love participating. So thank you for putting up with me and my antics, like our stupid videos we sometimes show or dressing up like a llama for arts week or preaching on an occasion on the weekend, like I'm doing to this morning. So thank you so much for that opportunity. I know I'm not as trendy as our lead pastor. I have normal shoes. I have a, a somewhat long shirt, not an abnormally long shirt on today. Um, so thank you for putting on, I, I actually have hair. Um, so that's different. Um, from our executive team. So um, anyways, uh, I'm so grateful for this opportunity, but truly Haley and I uh, love Impact, love Lowell, thankful for you. So hopefully that sappiness was enough time for you to get to Philippians 4. So let's jump in. We're gonna start in verse 10. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Pause real quick. I want us to understand where we're at in the narrative context of the scripture, of, of the story. Um, and I use the word narrative specifically because I don't, I don't call them Bible stories or Bible characters anymore because that gives the subconscious illusion that this is a fictional book that helps us become more moralistic people. That's not what this is. That's not what, this is a historical book, an account of God's love and pursuit of humanity. And this is an actual letter that it was written from an actual person to an actual church. So we see the author of this letter is Paul. Paul was an apostolic evangelist. He did three very substantial missionary journeys we see in the book of Acts, um, where he traveled around the, the European region in the Middle East, and he would share the gospel. He would start churches. He would help establish leadership, and then he'd go to the next town. Or he'd show up at a town that already had a church, and he would offer encouragement and insight and truth and, and breathe life into them. Uh, and then oftentimes we 
we see him uh, after the fact, after he leaves writing letters back to the churches. So Paul wrote two thirds of the New Testament. Um, he wrote a couple letters to the church in Corinth, a couple to the church in uh, Thessalonica. He wrote one to the church of Rome, uh, Galatia, Ephesus. And here we find him writing to the church of Philippi. So this is uh, the, the tail end of his letter. It's halfway through the final chapter in the in the book of Philippi, the letter of Philippi, and he is writing to them. Now, what he's referring to here about their concern for him is oftentimes these churches would send people or resources, money with Paul in order to help him in his missionary journey, in order to spread the gospel to the far reaches of the earth. And so what he's doing here is he's applauding them. I, I rejoice greatly because you renewed your concern for me. He's saying, thank you for caring about the message of the gospel spreading across the world. Like, thank you for caring that. He's not saying that because he's not berating them. Like, hey, you didn't show me an opportunity of your support. He actually goes in the next verse in 11. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, right? He's, he's not saying that. He's applauding them saying, thank you for participating in the advancement of the gospel. So this is where we find ourselves in the narrative of scripture. This is where we're at in Philippians as Paul writes to the church. Verse 11, I'm not saying this because I am in need for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now the famous Philippians 4.13 passage, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Real quick, I'm gonna step up on my soapbox for a minute, okay? Because I can almost guarantee, because this is true for me, that most of the time you've heard Philippians 4.13 quoted, you've heard it taken out of context, okay? And that is a very dangerous thing to narrow in on a passage of scripture, on a verse of scripture, and then to apply it to other parts of our life that it was never meant to be applied to, okay? Because the way I memorize this verse is I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's how I remember memorizing as a kid. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And the reason I know that it's been taken out of context is because we often see it applied to parts of our lives that are in triumph and success. I can start this business and be successful because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I, I can face this adversity and I can come out stronger the other side. I can conquer this thing because I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Or, or the, the Christian gyms, right? Where you see the outline of the biceps and there's no body, it's just the verse. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? Punny, okay, good job, Christian gym, well done. But like, that's the, the, the context of this passage is not triumph, it is not success. He is saying here, you could literally reword this verse to say, I mean, you're not supposed to change scripture. I'm saying you could. It says, I can be content in any circumstance circumstance because of him who gives me strength. It's not that you're going to conquer and win and triumph everything. And I, and I tell you that because I don't want you to leave. I don't want you to see people sharing that. And I don't want you to say, man, I didn't conquer. I must not have the strength of Christ in me. No, 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 no. The human experience, we will, ex we will have failure. We will face adversity. We will lose. We will experience hurt, pain, and loss. And that doesn't mean that you don't have the the uh, strength of Christ in you. What Paul's saying here is you can be content no matter what because of the strength of Christ in your life. Now you'll be okay. You know, Psalm 23, John referenced it earlier that uh, he will be with us even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And so you'll, you'll be okay, but I don't want you to think that you will always conquer and triumph. That is not what this verse is talking about. So we're talking about contentment. 
talking about contentment today. Jay asked me to preach for this weekend and we started talking about, he had another verse in mind that he actually brought to me and we were talking about, I was like, I don't think I have the time logistically just to do the dive into that passage. I didn't know it very well. It's like, I don't think I have the time to dive into that, to do it justice in order to communicate well what that means. And so we started talking about some other ideas. Um, And uh, as we're wrapping up our series on peculiar people and my word for the year is content or contentment. And so we started talking about that and, and how peculiar would it be if there was a, a body of people, if there was a group of people that actually lived lives of true contentment in a world riddled with discontent? Like that would be extremely peculiar for people to look on impact and say, man, I don't know what it is about anybody who goes to impact, but they seem to be content and I'm only ever discontent. That is a peculiar character trait. It's also an elusive one. It, it feels like holding water, right? Where it's like, hey, can you put some water in my hands? Cool, I got, nope, not anymore, right? Like it, it just slips through the cracks so quickly, so easily that I find myself in a space of discontentment so often. And, and I really struggle with contentment. I really, that's why it's my word for the year. I tend to hone on, hone in uh, on an aspect that I just need to flesh out and I need to work through and I need to process through. And, and I'm grateful that I get to preach this weekend because I hadn't done the deep dive into scripture that I needed to, like I did this last week preparing for this message. Um, and uh, I'm not good at contentment. And so this morning, you just need to know I'm speaking from my heart to your heart. Okay, we are cognitive, logical, cerebral beings and we need information. We need to understand uh, the information of what God has done for us to save us because he loves us. We need to, to know that, but we're also emotive beings and we need to let the love of God affect the very depths of our soul and our hearts. And, and today it's not cerebral conversation. This is not an informative conversation. This is, I really struggle. So let's look at scripture together and let my heart just share with your heart kind of what I've seen as I've tried to mine some of these different passages. Okay, all right, no response. I'll take that as affirmation. Here we go. Uh, I believe when we look at contentment that we have to begin with ourselves. We must begin internally. Because if you are always discontent with who you are, discontentment will run rampant in other parts of your life as well that it will begin to spill into other aspects of your life. No matter how much you fight to try to be content with those things, if you, are not dis- if you are not content with yourself, you will find discontentment in the things around you. So I believe that contentment begins internally. And I've been on a journey of contentment internally for the last four years or so now. Um, I think I've shared this story with you before, but about four years ago this summer, I was standing in our backyard. We had just bought our first home earlier that spring. Uh, we didn't have kids. We did have a dog. It was a blue wine named Thatcher. He was awesome. Um, and I'm standing in our backyard and I'm like, God, I'm content with Haley and I'm content with our marriage. I'm content with our home. I'm content with our dog. I'm content with impact. I'm content with my job. And I went to say, and I'm content with myself. And I physically could not say the words. I, I couldn't say them because I, I wasn't content with myself. I wasn't content with who I was made to be. And I say that and I know, and, and I'm still young, I get it. Like I'm 30, I'm, I've, only, I've been in ministry uh, a relatively small amount of time compared to a lot of people, but I do believe I understand the human psyche well enough. I've had enough conversations to know that 
when I talk about being discontent with who I am, there are some of you in the room who go, I know exactly what you mean. You, you don't have to say anymore. I know what you're talking about. But I also know that there's another group in the room. And this isn't everybody else. I'm just saying that there's another section in the room who, who would say, no, when I think about it, I'm, I'm content with myself. But it is a surface level contentment. And there's actually this, probably for me at least, because I would have said that five years ago. Five years ago, I would have said I was content with myself, but it was surface level. And there was a childlike demeanor at the depths of my soul that longed to hear from my creator, I made you wonderfully on purpose. And I love who I created you to be. And I long for that. And so four years ago, when I couldn't utter the words that I was content with myself, I realized I have a problem. That's an issue, right? I, I want to flesh this out. And I began this journey of seeking contentment with who God has made me to be. Well, three and a half years ago, I ended up writing a poem that I, I want to read for you this morning. Um, I actually, honestly, I don't want to read it to you this morning. It feels really vulnerable. I'm worried you're going to think I'm Jason or John trying to wrap up here. That's not what I'm doing. Um, but I, I was actually working on my message late Tuesday night and I was like, I think I might've uh, given a message on contentment to the students. So like I word search my computer and I write, I just typed content and this poem popped up. I was like, oh, I forgot about it. Wasn't thinking about it. And as I reread through it, I was like, I think I need to share. I think I need to share this with you. And the reason is I want you to have an insight to where I was three and a half years ago. So you can see a little bit of of where I was in that moment mentally and emotionally, but also I think it might speak directly to where some of you are at right now. It's called The Old Familiar Road. Oh, the places you'll go, such sweet sentiment for young boys and other men, a hearkening back to an adventurous spirit like that of Huckleberry Finn, with confidence heading into the unknown, ready to attack any foe. But as for this week, feeble, hollow shell. I seem to find myself back on that old familiar road as if doomed to be there again by life's cruel code. And like the back of my hand, I know that path all too well. The self-doubt and insecurities are as comfortable as my own skin. I know every bump and hole I will encounter on this path, speaking words of hatred and frustration as a self-inflicted wrath while this internal battle is fought between contentment and comparison. Blood boiling, anxiety inducing, vexation conversation about my life not measuring up, thoughts crowded with you'll nevers and who are yous? All the while trying to tell myself I'm good, but I just end up confused, feeling as though the water inside my body is being emptied, emptied like liquid poured from a cup. But my conscience cannot continue to count the cost for this catastrophic toll, experiencing brokenness and bruising as my flesh drags me away and my heart crying out to quit the torture as it begins to fray. Therefore, I must desert this old familiar road if I am to save this traveler's poor, wretched soul. And for some of you, you're sitting in that space and you know what those words mean for you and where you're at. So I believe that the contentment must begin with who we were created to be. And to be honest with the discontentment, to, to literally stand before God as a child of his and say, God, I, I don't like this about 
myself? Why couldn't you make me more uh, of an external processor so I didn't get wound up in my own thoughts? God, why didn't you make me more of an internal processor so I didn't annoy everybody with all of my thoughts? Why didn't you make me more extroverted? I want to be the life of the party. God, why didn't you make me more introverted? Man, people are always expecting things of me. They want me to be on all the time. God, why couldn't you make me an ambervert? Why couldn't you give me this gift? Why couldn't you give me this talent? Why couldn't you make me like this? Why couldn't you call me to do this? And we find this discontentedness within ourselves that just spins us in circles. And I believe that we need to take these things to God and say, God, I'm discontent with these, but will you give me your contentment and who you made me to be? Can, can I literally trade you, God? Can, can I lay my discontentment at your feet and you put in me your contentment? Yeah. Put in me the way that you feel about me, the way that you love me, the way that you see me. I wanna bring my discontentment before you and before your throne. And I'm asking you, God, to put in me your contentment for myself. I wanna be extremely clear. The line between contentment and complacency is extremely thin. This is not an excuse. This is not an excuse for bad behavior. You don't get to be like, ah, I just have a short fuse. I get angry quick. Uh, you just have to deal with that. I'm sorry. Or I, I'm just passive aggressive. I don't deal with conflict well. So that's just, that's how I deal with it. So I hope you can get used to that. Or, or uh, I just, every, the only way I can communicate is through sarcasm. You know, that tiny bit of truth cloaked in rude humor. That's the, that's the only way I can. No, no, no. You don't get to make excuses for your bad behavior because we're all called to become more like Christ. We're all called to change and submit our behavior and our demeanor to become more like Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the way in which you are designed and wired with your unique gifts and abilities. We have to find contentment in that place. Standing before a father who loves you, saying, God, getting to a place where you can say, God, thank you for making me this way. Thank you for making me this way. Because here's the thing. You don't get to diss or criticize the creation and expect there not to be relational tension with the creator. Let me, okay, I'm gonna give you a bad analogy, but hang with me. If my three-year-old daughter was standing next to me and you walked up to us and you said, man, Shay, I cannot stand Athalia's personality. She is so annoying. I, I just, I can't be in a room with her for more than five minutes. But can we be friends? No, no, we cannot. And you better get away from me. I'm gonna leave my hands behind me so I don't do something stupid, okay? So back up with your stupid self and don't talk to me. Like that's, that's gonna be my reaction. You can't diss my daughter. And I'm not even her creator. Granted, I was a willing participant in the process. I'm not even her creator, okay? Like you don't get to do that. And, and the reason it's a poor analogy is because God's not going to withhold his love from you like I would from you in that instance. But what does happen is you begin to communicate to God, God, I don't trust you because you messed up when it came to me. And you start to distance yourself from God and keep yourself from God because you're saying, you got it right for the other seven and a half billion people. But somehow when it came to me, you messed up and I'm not okay with that. And you fight and you fight and you fight to be like other people because you're not content with who God's made you to be and you strive to be other people and you can't find your unique calling and giftings and abilities because you're trying to be somebody else until you find contentment in who he's made you to be. And so contentment has to begin with who you are internally at the depth of your soul. 
And I, I just want to tell you and celebrate with you, God has truly done some miracle work in my life over the last year. Last April, the beginning of COVID was not good for a lot of people, me included. Um, and I was riddled with near crippling insecurity and discontentment with myself and went to counseling last fall. And I have grown exponentially in my contentment with myself. And there's two reasons I say that. There's two clues that I've, I've been made aware of of why I can say I'm more content with myself. One of them is I can say no to things and not care. I'd be like, I'm not gonna do it that way. That's not how I'm wired. Again, I'm not talking about become more Christ-like. I'm talking about literally doing something a certain way. Or I'm not going to uh, say yes to that just to please you. I'm not about that. I'm, I'm gonna do what, what God's asked me to do and how he's wired me and designed. I don't, I don't need to say yes to that for you. Perfect example, Haley and I took a personality test years ago when we were um, looking at going overseas. And this personality test actually uh, assessed your energy level. Because I always thought I was lazy compared to Haley. She can run circles around me. Um, and uh, we took this test, found out I was a two and a half out of seven on an energy scale. She was a five and a half out of seven. I was like, whoo, no one, like it gave me permission to say like, I don't have to be you. I don't have to do it. Like when I get home from work, I don't wanna keep working. Like I, I need to rest or take a 10 minute power nap or whatever before we like make dinner or jump into having people over. Like I just need a little bit of time to restore some energy that you have that I don't have. So if you wanna bottle it up and give it to me, that'll work. But I don't think we can do that. So just allowing yourself and I've allowed myself to be content with who I am. The second indicator is I've learned way healthier rhythms of celebrating with those who celebrate and mourning with those who mourn that when I'm content with myself, it, I can genuinely celebrate with others. You know how many times before where I'd be like, that's so awesome that you gotta do that thing. You got that opportunity. Yeah, that's cool. I hate you. Okay, um, <laughs> right? And you're laughing because you know it's true. You've all done it. And I've, I'm able to celebrate with you. Man, that is genuinely amazing that you got that that opportunity, that you got that gift, that you have that, whatever it is, or to enter into people's hurt and pain and not, not with this, uh, this other side of, well, you sort of deserved it, right? Like I'm able to enter in and walk through that with them genuinely, step into those places. But we, it starts by becoming content with who God has made you to be individually. But as I was studying this last week, I realized that I, as I've become more content over this last year, my discontentment was shoved onto our things. And I didn't even realize it, but this last week I was just reflecting on the last year of how God has grown me in this area. And, and uh, I, I've just complained more about our stuff. And I've shoved my discontentment on our things. And this will probably sound familiar to you, but I, I would always add a yeah, but to somebody's comment or compliment. Right, like we love hosting. We, we have a pretty sweet setup. Um, we, like we have like an acre of land and a pool and an old school farmhouse um, built in the 30. Like it's, it's actually, it's pretty sweet setup. And people, we, so we'll host. We had the kids own volunteers over uh, last weekend hanging out. And uh, every time we have people over, they're like, man, Shay, you got a great setup. Vanna Bosch's, I think are right over here. She, she said, Rachel said it last week. You have a great setup. And it's always followed by, yeah, we do. But we really want that fourth bedroom because we wanna be able to house people. We wanna, when, when family comes in town, we want that fourth bedroom so that, so they have somewhere to sleep or if somebody needs a space for a short time, like we can offer that to them. 
Yeah, but yeah, but the carpet, oh, the carpet's a disaster. I mean, with two little kids and a Haley, spills happen all the time. So like, um, so like we really want to replace the carpet. We want to put in some hardwood floors. We'd love to do that. Or yeah, the pool, yeah, the pool's awesome. But man, it's, it's really big. I got to stain it this year. That sounds daunting and exhausting. Like that happens with my motorcycle. I got to buy a motorcycle last summer. It was kind of always like a secret thing. I never really talked about it, but I always wanted a bike. I got to buy a bike last year. They're like, Shay, this is a sweet bike. Yeah, but it's only a 250. It's a little small. I can't jump on the freeway and hop into GR. Like it doesn't go very fast. I'd love to upgrade. Yeah, but, yeah, but. And, and I literally turned God's blessings into my, in my life into negatives because I put my yeah, but in the way. And then when I read scripture and anytime you see, but God, it is cluing you into, there's about to be a divine intervention that leads to transformation. Like how different would the conversation be if someone's like, Shay, you have a sweet setup here. Yeah, we do, but, you, but it's only because God gave us this house. Like if I told you the story of how we got this house, you'd be amazed. Or Shay, you have a sweet motorcycle. Yeah, but God actually dropped this in my lap and I bought it for $300. True story. Some of you are like, I spent more than $300 on my kid's electric scooter last Christmas and it's already broken, right? Like, and so I like God is, is interacting and, and I turn his blessings into negatives. And I, and I wanna be able to flip the script to say, how is God intervening? Where is divine interaction taking place where God is in the mix and God is blessing me and he can even turn my negatives around. And not necessarily make them positives, but he can change the way that I think about them, right? Like, Shay, how are you handling the chaos in your life? It seems daunting. It is daunting, but, but God promises that he will never leave me nor forsake me and he's with me in it. Shay, how are you handling the loss of a loved one? I, I don't get how you're handling that. It's not easy, but he all, God promises that he will offer me peace that surpasses my own understanding. Shay, how are you dealing? You, you lost your job or you, you're, you're experiencing job turmoil. How, how are you processing through that? It's not easy, but God remains faithful to his promises. But God. So we've got to find contentment in ourselves and we've got to find contentment in our things. First Timothy chapter six, verse four says, they have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means of financial gain. Paul's writing to his protege, Timothy, who's the pastor of Ephesus here, is like, these guys think that if they act more godly, it leads to more awareness from other people, more fame, more opportunities, and therefore financial gain. What he's saying is their godliness is, their godliness is motivated by selfish gain. And then he comes back in verse six, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. He's saying, Timothy, look, if you can find contentment in who he's made you to be and in your circumstances, when you act godly, it's because you actually want to be like God. And when you actually be like God, when you actually act like God, when you actually grow in your character and your Christ-like nature, that is the great gain, not finances. Godliness is great gain in this life. So you have to start with contentment and then your godliness is not out of a selfish motivation, but out of a desire to be like him. He continues, for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. 
Y'all, my mom, I think, was so mad when I found this verse in the Bible. Because I know some of you heard this growing up. Boy, I brought you into this world. I can take you out. And I was like, no, First Timothy 6 says you didn't bring nothing into the world. You don't get to take nothing. I made her so mad with this one. So there's a little ammunition for some of you kids later in the week when you get in arguments. Uh, anyways, but we brought nothing in this world. How much time and energy and for me, at least mental capacity, do I take from birth to death worried about my stuff? Stressing over finances, trying to control things, uh, obsessed with getting more and keeping up with the Joneses. Right? Like how much of my time and energy am I spending on those things? When I don't get to take them with me, I didn't bring anything into the world and I don't get to take anything out. As one writer noted this week that I've never seen a moving truck following a hearse. You don't take it with you. But we spend so much of our time and energy focused on those things. I'm cooking through these verses. There's so much here, but I'm going somewhere. So stay with me. Verse eight, but we have food and clothing. We will be content with that. But will I? Will I actually, God, be content if you only provide for my needs? That's a whole nother message I'm not going into. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I find this interesting. He notes that some eager for money have wandered from the faith. Because my question was, well, why did they wander from the faith? What? Just because they got money, they wandered from God? And if you think about the way our society is structured, there is this sense that if you have money and you have the ability to pay your bills, not live paycheck to paycheck, have the retirement fund set up, like have things kind of locked and loaded, buy the house or the toys that you were hoping to have. Like if you do that, then there's this sense of like, okay, I figured out life. I'm good. And you start to depend on your own abilities rather than staying dependent on God who get, gave you those things anyway. Amen. And so in your own self-dependency, you begin to wander from God. And, and, and as it's been noted by a lot of people, some people are like, well, Christianity is just a crutch. I don't need that anymore. I can sustain. If you think Christianity is only a crutch, you don't know the half of it. I mean, it's a gurney, I'm dead and I need God to come in and breathe life into me, right? Like he's the defibrillator bringing me back to life. So if you think it's only a crutch, keep reading the Bible. There's a lot more for you to un uncover, okay? It's not a crutch. We have to remain dependent on God for the very breath of life that he gives us. He also notes earlier in verse 10, where he says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And I've heard, Pastors and people talk about this time and time and time again. It's the love of money. It's not, the, it's not money itself. It's stuff, or it's the love of money. It's the love of stuff. It's not the stuff itself. And that, that's true. But the problem with people saying that all the time is I latched onto the, oh, it's not, it's not the stuff. It's not the money. I just held on to that. Oh, I can have stuff. I can have money and it's okay because it's the love of it. That, and I never took the time and space to say, God, do I love money? Do I love stuff? Because I just latched onto it's not the stuff so I can have stuff and that's okay. But I didn't let the spirit work inside of me to say, Shay, no, 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 no. You, you might love the stuff a little too much. You might have a love of the things and 
rather than a love of the giver of the things. Jesus writes in, or speaks, I'm sorry, in Matthew 6, 24, he says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Interesting side note here, the word wealth in Aramaic that Jesus was speaking in, Jesus gives wealth personification. He makes wealth as if it is a person, a master giving orders and dictating to you and to me our decisions, our habits, our behaviors, our moods. And church, you just need to know from me to you this morning. I was on the verge of tears multiple times this week because God convicted me over and over and over again the number of times that I have loved money and stuff or been a servant to wealth time and time and time again. And so I've confessed that and I just confess that to you. And that's not easy because my accountability partner is sitting right over here and he was in Mexico all this last week. So I haven't told him that yet. Now he's got to hold me accountable to it. And I don't want to be held accountable to it because I like my stuff. But I want contentment more. I want John 10, 10 to be true in my life. For I have come that they might have life and life to the full. And it's not full of your stuff to the brim of the roof of your house. It's full of internal life and contentment and joy and peace. And true contentment is not based on external factors, external circumstances. True contentment is found in in the joy and the peace of the relationship you have with your creator that then informs the contentment of the stuff and the circumstances around you. I wanna wanna share share with you a quote I read on Thursday. And I want to preface this quote. Never mind, it's on the screen. I'm going to preface this quote because I want it to hit you in a different way. I want you to sit with it. Most of us have chosen heaven over hell, but not many of us have chosen heaven over earth. Most of us have chosen heaven over hell, but not many of us have chosen heaven over earth. I read that and that's, sent me sideways. And in that moment, I was like, yeah, yep. A lot of other people have done that. God, you need to help them. (laughs) Thank you for the delayed laugh there. Appreciate that one. No, I, it, it struck me so hard. And this isn't scripture. I don't even know who Eric Reed is. I'm not promoting Eric Reed. I don't know Eric Reed, a youth professor guy I know shared this and it was just powerful truth because I've done this. I've chosen earthly things over heavenly things. I want my stuff. I want the feeling of financial security. I like that. I like the love of money and I've served wealth far too often. And that transition, transition, oh my goodness, that moves us to the next section. What do we do? Well, I don't have any answers for you. All we can do is kind of zoom out from the passages we already looked at. And maybe just maybe the scripture will speak for itself and begin to point a way forward for you and for me in this area of contentment. 
But the answer is, the short answer that I don't think you're going to like is we got to change our mindset. We have to change our mindset. And the reason I don't think you like it is because it's like, well, duh, I could have told you that. So let's jump into some scripture. If we go a couple verses earlier in Philippians 4 than where we were at the start of the message, Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Do you think about these things or do you think about what's negative, what's disappointing, what's uh, deceitful, what's hard, What's cutting? What's con- condemning? Are those the things you think about? Or do you think about what's true and noble, right and lovely, excellent, praiseworthy? And as I started to think about all of those words, we can think about different things, right? We can think about different things that are true and noble and right, right? But as I, as I think about all of them, they are all encapsulated in the person of God. Amen. So are you thinking about God, about who he is. Normally when I preach, I tend to like take things on personally and just kind of share from my own experience, right? Where I'm at, what I'm going through, what God's speaking to me. So this next statement is going to be a little out of character for me. But I believe that the difference between nominal West Michigan Christianity and the actively engaged Christ follower is that the Christ follower actually thinks about God regularly. That's, that's it. So if you're feeling stuck, like, yeah, I just kind of come to church once a week for my spiritual inspirational hit. And then I pray in front of my kids at dinner time because it seems like that's the right thing to do to show them. But you are not spending time thinking about God in your life, that will keep you in a nominal Christianity. It will, it will keep you stuck. And the difference between, the difference between you and somebody else is simply that. I've had so many people say like, man, I could never be a pastor. I could never be a preacher. And they're not talking about calling, right? Because I believe that we're called to do different things, whether that's a pastor or a banker or a lawyer or a doctor or whatever, like teacher. You're, we're called to different things, okay? I'm not talking about calling. They say that in like, I could never live like that. I could never be that much of a good Christian, whatever that heck that's supposed to mean, right? Like I could never do, it's like, whoa, 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 we're all called to different things, but you understand we're all called to live the same lifestyle. We're all called to be like Christ. So the only difference there that you're expressing is that I actually think about God on a regular basis and you don't. Or is that too real? And so I think that we have to challenge our mindsets and and what we think about on a regular basis. And I've never been more convinced of 2 Corinthians 10, 5 than I have been this week. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That we would actually take captive the thoughts we have, not just like, oh, I'm thinking lustfully, God, I need to give you that. No, 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 I'm talking about every thought. God, I have this dream. Is this your dream for my life or is this Shay's selfish dream for my life? And I wanna submit that to your obedience because I know what I want, but what I really want is what you want for me. Right, like, and submitting that to Christ, every thought we submit in obedience to him. 
But the problem is when we don't, when we just let our thoughts run rampant, at least for me, when, it, when I start serving wealth, right? Because I just start thinking about the things that I don't have and the things that I want and I, and I serve wealth and let that dictate my actions and my behaviors and my demeanor and, and my decision-making and I need to get a side hustle so I can get this thing. And, and I begin to serve wealth rather than serving God. But if I start to go down that rabbit trail, do I stop myself and say, God, I'm having this thought, is this of you? If it's not, give me your thought for my life. I need to become obedient to you. You do not work for me, God. I am your slave. You are my master who calls me his son. And so we have to submit our thoughts and obedience to who God has made us to be. Matthew 6, just a couple of verses before 24, where we were in earlier in verses 19 to 21, Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where neither and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. You see, when we change our mindset, we need to have an eternal focus an eternal mindset. Because when we are looking in the face of eternity, it puts in right perspective our time here on earth. And when we look with a kingdom mindset, it allows us to view our money and our stuff with a kingdom view to say, God, rather than trying to build my own kingdom dwelling here, how do I use my money, my stuff, my time, my gifts to advance your kingdom? And so we have to have an eternal mindset we have to look through the lens of eternity, giving us right perspective of our time here on earth and what we're called to do. And when we do that, it gives us a right frame to work in, in our time here. And we're supposed to live in this tension as Christ followers. I truly believe that. You can't read the creation account and not see that God created the earth and for us to enjoy and find uh, joy and enjoyment in things, in, in, in the created order. And so there is joy and enjoyment in this life, but it is fractured and broken because of the fall. And we are not designed to stay here and it must be rightly ordered in the face of eternity. Amen. And so we have to submit those things. God, you gave me my stuff. You gave me my money. What do you want me to do with it? God, you're the one who gave me the ability. I don't want to choose that job just because wealth says it'll make me richer. I want to choose what you've designed me to do, being content with who you've made me to be, not chasing after other people's contentment, not chasing to be like somebody else, but chasing down you, chasing after you and following your leading and your uh, guiding in my life. And the thing is what I'm talking about today, I'm just gonna be honest, this doesn't make you a Christian or, or a non-Christian. You can believe in God, you can surrender your life to Jesus and, and you, you can go to heaven. That's right. But you will be miserable in this life unless we fight to find contentment in who God has created you to be and the circumstances that he has you in. By the way, just put in perspective, Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. Just saying. Paul also writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, in uh, 11 and 12, just after we stopped earlier. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Take hold the eternal life. Have an eternal mindset and focus on these things that you can store up your treasures in heaven. Focus on 
pursuing righteousness and godliness and faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. The character of who you are is what you take into eternity with you. But we spend so much time for our stuff and our things that we can't take with us. When in actuality, if we have an eternal focus, we get to participate in bringing the kingdom here. And so we need an eternal focus and a kingdom minded to participate in what Jesus himself taught us how to pray. Your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we need to, we need to develop these parts of ourselves, our relationships with other people being in right relationship and accountability, making each other better and developing and fleshing our character because our character is what we take to eternity actually putting your relationship with God as the priority of your life because your relationship with him is what goes into eternity with you. It actually dictates how you'll spend eternity is how your relationship with God plays out on this life. So those are the things that we are to cultivate. Those are the treasures we need to store up. Our character, our godliness, our righteousness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness, those are the things that we wanna strive for to be more like Christ and then to carry out the mission, the call to go forth and make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the call on our life. And, and I don't think that we can have this new way of thinking on our own. I just don't think that you can do it by yourself. That's why Paul writes, we're reading a lot of Paul this morning, why Paul writes in Romans 12 too, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. But too often Christians, at least in Western culture, live with, be sure to conform to the patterns of this world. And then you'll be able to test your wants and desires in this life. And hopefully things will go well with you today. We have to be nonconformists, rejecting our fleshly desires in order to tend and care for and find contentment in our souls. And I'm just talking from my heart to your heart today. So we've got to take captive those thoughts, submit them to God, say, God, what do you think about this? What are you calling me to do? What do you want me to do with this information? And then point me the way forward because I can't do it alone. It's not by my own power. And then we get to return to the ever popular verse of Philippians 4.13. And I can say to you today that we can leave here today and you can find more contentment today than you did yesterday through him who gives you strength. Because it is the power of him that dwells inside of you, giving you the strength and the ability to live in a state of contentment. And it ain't easy. You have to keep coming back to the well of living water and asking him to keep filling up your hands because it's gonna to wanna to slip through as the world seeks to drag us away. But hopefully we can leave today with at least a little more clarity of a way forward as we strive to be content with who you are. As the father looks at you, says you are my son or my daughter I created you that way on purpose for a reason, because I love you. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy in our lives. Thank you for being present in this room, in this space today. And as we go, Lord, will you encourage and strengthen our hearts, making us like you. 
Dad, may I find contentment in any circumstance that I find myself in because my circumstance does not change your character, but may your character inform my contentment. I love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You all are dismissed. Have an awesome Sunday.